Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. For over a year, BuzzFeed News reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold had been reporting on President Trump and his campaign's ties to Russia, breaking major stories and trying to follow the money. We had both been fantasizing about this mother load. I just remember Anthony was like, oh my God, oh my God. They'd received thousands of secret government documents that revealed that banks all over the world had moved money for terrorists and criminals and drug dealers. And the U.S. government knows about it. We see actual human beings pulling the levers that allow this sort of criminal misconduct to go on. I'm Azine Gureshi. Join me for our new podcast, Suspicious Activity, Inside the FinCEN Files. We'll dive into the story these secret documents tell and take you behind the scenes with my colleagues at BuzzFeed News as they reported it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Find it on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Time for fatness to meet fitness. Hold on to your butt. The common man and the thinking man. They were so convincing in their argument. They swung me. The avocado and the great bravado. I want it. It's everything. Nick Wilson and Josh Parcell. I assume you know who we are. Are Wilson and Parcell. Good Monday morning, Charlotte. What time, what time is it again? <laughs> it's morning. Where are we? Listen, I'm It's morning thinking, on the West Coast. I, I just talked to my friend who's in Afghanistan. They're nine hours. Uh, he, he's going into his morning. That's clearly aren't what they, this aren't is. Are they ahead of us? It is Wilson and Parcel. <laughs> uh, they're ahead or behind us. They're one of those. But uh, happy afternoon, everybody. Hope everybody's doing all, all right here. Josh, how you doing, bud? I, I'm good. How, you, you know, Top of the morning to you. Listen, I <laughs> I woke up at 6.30 this morning ready to do a show, and then I had to send my kids off to school. By school, I mean my dining room, <laughs> and I had to use the technology they have to use, so this could be an interesting five hours. I heard I heard that that went really well today. I've only seen one uh, update from CMS about uh, malfunctions with technology, so I guess we're uh, we've hit the under this morning so far. But I, I want to yeah, go ahead and say thank you to all the teachers out there, the administrators who made today possible. This is not about you. It sucked. It was. It was. <laughs> I I finally realized what my parents felt like when I tried to introduce them to like smartphones, you know, seven years ago, where they're like randomly poking the screen and saying it's not working it's not working that's essentially what happened except this time it really was the technology's fault and not the fact that i can't deal with technology 
Yeah, I don't know what I would do, honestly. I'm very happy I don't have kids right now because trying to – are you homeschooling them? You're not – they're just – are they just on an iPad? Are they, they not going to go play games? No, I don't understand. No, so we – Are they not allowed? No, they, they, it's pretty much just time on the iPad and you kind of have to uh, keep them I, – I basically oh played bouncer for my children today, but instead of keeping them out of the club, I was keeping them in the club and paying attention to their their iPads. That that was my morning this morning. That sounds terrible. It's a lot of lie. No, it sounds great. We love kids though. Yeah. Kids are the best. In no way was I in any way frustrated or furious when I left this morning at 10 a.m. Uh, but it's a great day. So uh, not just welcome back to school. Welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. I know we've had a lot of conversations, Josh, on the jump from college to pros, but Matt Rule had an interesting observation about coaching in the pros when he spoke to the media over the weekend. How would you say connecting and communicating with pros has been different or similar to college kids? It's way, just way easier. Um, you know, every guy that's here is here because he's been excellent at what he does. Um, you know, he knows what it takes to be a pro. You know, we're of the same age, you know, I'm not my age. <laughs> Obviously, I'm 20 years older. Don't get me wrong, but we have, you know, you know, there's just a different, you know, thing. When you're dealing with college kids, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing, but you know, you're taking them right after they move out of the home, right? They have all different distractions in school and stuff, and so it's just a, it's, a, it's a different process. You know, this is, you know, I, I talk about my kids with guys who have kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, um, they love the game. The game treats them well. They want to extend their career. I love the game. The game's treated me well. I want to extend my career. So. We're so common. Uh, there's so many commonalities between the players and coaches. I just try to always reduce it down to people. You know, just, hey, we're all people. We all have the same hopes, dreams, fears. Uh, keep it about that. The 2020 Panthers, we're all people. I think that should be the rallying cry. Okay, so if, if he ends up being really good, we'll look back in this moment and realize how wise Matt Rule was, Josh. If he ends up the next few years struggling, we're going to look back to the moment where he said it's actually easier to coach in the pros and to coach pros than it is college kids and and quote this moment with with much mirth and anger. <laughs> right, yeah, this this is certainly the one of those that you could look back on if they if he gets fired 4 years from now and be like, "I guess it wasn't easier to coach the pros." But I for Matt Rule, I take what he said there as it's easier to coach pros. It might be easier to coach pros now. T- talk to me after week 2. Talk to me after you're coaching pros and you're playing against other pros. There's a difference, right? And I, I think what Coach Rule said there is true. I think it is easier for college coaches to transition to the pros when it comes to the things that Coach Rule is talking about, when it comes to camp, when it comes to practice, when it comes to preparation. Because, as he mentioned, you're not dealing with 18- and 19-year-old kids. You're dealing with adults. You're dealing with the best of the best. You're dealing with great talent. You're dealing with much more maturity in most cases. And I think with the Panthers – you know, the one thing that, that Matt Rule really, I don't believe, has to deal with to a great extent right now that most coaches do in the NFL is handle egos. This is a pretty egoless football team in Carolina. I mean, you think about the face of this team, Christian McCaffrey, very, very humble guy, not a not a guy who draws a lot of attention to himself. Sometimes when you're going and dealing with guys who just got paid $75 million, for example, uh, you're going to have to deal with them in a much different way than you would deal with, say, college kids. And there's still a difference between a pro who's making millions and a college student. But the Panthers, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, very low-key kind of guy. Uh, DJ Moore, low-key kind of guy, right? Taylor Moten, like there's just – Trey Boston is the most outspoken guy on this team. And Trey is an incredibly high 
character guy. You're not really massaging egos on in this Panthers locker room, which I think is a benefit for Matt Rule walking in here. Absolutely. And he's talked before about how he wants a lot of guys who are just all about football and not about much else. I think that helps with his transition. You know, the other big thing that I think any coach would tell you, both in basketball and in football, you make that jump from college to the pros. You all of a sudden now, there's no time restrictions. You can practice and be around the guys as much as you need to be. You're in a lot more meetings. You have a lot more time with them uh, day to day, whereas in college, you're restricted to 20 hours. In college, you're glad handling with boosters and alumni. You're dealing with compliance. Uh, you're dealing with admission. Like, you just have so many other hands that you have or buckets to have your hand in. Whereas in the NFL, it's all football all the time. So I'm not surprised that on August 17th, coach rules loving the pros right now. Let's see how it goes six weeks from now when, you know, you got to go against, you know, a bunch of other teams that are doing the same thing you're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, I think the immediate thing that you talked about, you mentioned a lot of the low key guys. The reality is there, there's not a lot of ego here because they're one of the youngest teams in the NFL. And the, and I think that does help, a college coach who has not spent uh, outside of a year has just really not been in the NFL a whole lot. I actually think the youth right now is an aid to Matt Rule because he is used to similarly aged guys. Now, he has guys like you talked about who are older veterans, but none of those guys are guys who have ever been called a diva. I, there are, I think there are still things that you look for down the road and you try and look at what the missteps were of other college coaches and a lot of it comes down to they failed to get over in the locker room or they lacked adapt adaptability. Like Steve Spurrier wanted to play, you know, wanted, wanted to coach for 40 hours a week and go golf in Washington. Wasn't going to cut it in the NFL. And you look at a guy like Butch Davis, who's a guy who had a reputation uh, in the NFL for not shooting players straight. That's something that he had some initial success there in Cleveland, and then eventually the locker room turned on him because he treated them like he would his young kids, who he only had to get to buy in for two to three years. I think Rule has shown in his career he has adaptability, and I think he has shown. You know, Trey Boston called him called him an honest guy and said he's very real, and that's one of the things Trey said about him. You, you can say that August eighteenth. Uh, the first year, it's important you're saying that in two years, but like those are the two of two of the biggest things that we've heard on college coaches failing in the NFL. Well, those there they are at least two things we've heard with Matt Rule that that he can either avoid or he has shown the ability to to avoid those previously. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things there. One, I don't know that the youth is the, the explanation why the team really lacks ego. I think it's more the lack of success that they've had. I mean, there's plenty of young guys in this league who come in and you get paid and you got to handle them and treat them differently than you do, you know, a 19-year-old redshirt sophomore who's fighting for a starting job or even the best player on your team. It's just different when they're they're adults and they're making millions and millions of dollars. And I don't think Rule really has to deal with that on this team right now, which is which is a benefit to him. As far as his honesty, look, I think Matt Rule is an honest guy. I don't have any reason to doubt that, so to speak. I don't know him personally. And I've cautioned people against calling him a liar in the past because sometimes I think he says what he needs to say publicly, even if it's not the ultimate truth of what's happening, you know, behind the scenes. I, I would caution people a little bit on rule if I'm a player and just, you know, saying, oh, no, he's the most honest guy in the world. He did say that he was committed to Cam and then they cut him. He did say they were excited about Graham Gano and then they cut him the next day. He's starting to have there's a trend developing of some guys where he he backs publicly and then, well, they're out the door a couple of days later. I don't think that's that big of a deal. Again, I don't think that's some sort of indictment on Matt Rule's character, but 
it's now happened more than once. So I'm, I am thinking about that. But the biggest thing to me, and I said this when Matt Rule was hired, you know, we talk about, well, Matt Rule's now saying it's easier to coach pros. And it, it made me think, you know, how, how is Rule's success in college? Is it going to translate to the NFL? Because it is very different. The reason I think Rule can succeed is because when you think of most college coaches who make the transition from college to the NFL, most of them, if not all, but it's a, a, a severe most of them, have done so when they had more talent than virtually everybody they played in college, right? Uh, the, you know, Chip Kelly, right? Nick Saban, Butch Davis, uh, Steve Spurrier, Bobby Petrino. I mean, you go down the list of guys, Lane Kiffin. I mean, a lot of guys did this when they had one of, maybe not the most talented team, one of the most talented teams, and they won a lot because they're great recruiters and they can build the exact team that they want and they can go beat you because they're just flat out better. That has rarely, if ever, been the case with Matt Rule. And that's what's encouraging to me about Rule is that this is not Lincoln Riley, who I like, but Lincoln Riley stepped into Oklahoma. He had a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback the day one, did a great job coaching him, but they've had more talent than anyone they've played in the Big 12 virtually every single game he has coached at Oklahoma. Matt Rule at Baylor, I'd say they were probably the fifth, sixth most talented roster in the Big 12 last year. And they've had a winning record now going on two years and nearly won the Big 12 a season ago. They were undefeated going into November. So Matt Rule has done more with less than pretty much any other college coach that I can remember making that jump from college to the pros. Doesn't guarantee that he's going to be successful, but that's what encourages me is he knows how to win without just having the most talent on the field, the best quarterback on the field. He's done it in other ways. That that makes me optimistic if I'm a Panther fan. Yeah, I, I would characterize myself as optimistic as well. I mean, listen, we understand, you know, coaches come in, whether they're assistants, uh, you know, former coordinators, special teams guys, college guys, it, it, there's a huge fail rate in the NFL with head coaches. And there's a myriad of reasons that happens. I'll say that the toughest thing for Matt is not to get a buy-in day one, I'm interested to see where the buy-in is going to be week 14 this year. If you are two and 12, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm interested to see if in two years you are you go two and 14. Let, let's say you go there, and then next year you go four and 12. Is the buy-in still there at the end of year two? Because that's the difference. You know, we we talk about a guy like Jimmy Johnson, early struggle in Dallas, and they turned it on all of a sudden because Jimmy Johnson was able to keep them bought in, keep professional football players bought in. From day one all the way until they they were able to go and win the Super Bowl, I think that's the great unknown that we're facing with Matt Rule. He's he seems like a great guy, right? The the uh, what has been the description of practices? They're fun and they're up tempo, and you know Matt Rule. We got the video of Matt Rule running drills. That's all great, but in the end, you know buying in day one is pretty easy. I've seen that happen. It is keeping guys bought in across the first two years or until you start winning that that'll be that that's going to be the thing that helps Matt rule succeed or not. And by the way, that's not a college thing. That's just a NFL mm -hmm. coach thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Johnson also succeeded because he ran the team and there was no salary cap yet, which meant he could run it closer to a college team than coaches can today when there are restrictions, there are GMs and, and caps and stuff. Matt rule doesn't have the benefit of that. And I, I do think that rule has, 
a, a pretty significant amount of influence in the roster decisions that they made, you know, this spring, just look at the guys they brought in. There's, there's clear connections to rule with a lot of them. It would make sense that rule had a lot of say in that. So that makes sense. And I think I, I agree with you on, you know, the, the viral video of, of him tackling the dummy that people have seen today. That's great. I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of fun. And I think that speaks to a, a shift in philosophy in Carolina. Rivera was a little bit more business-like, a little bit more old school, old school coaches, aren't doing as much of that, but honestly, I think some of that's even overrated. I've heard stories going back 50 years of coaches who get into drills with their players and everybody loves it. It's a lot of fun. It's not really a new school, old school thing, but Matt rule certainly is embracing the more of the fun and people, the the buzzword that Panthers have used the last couple of days is energy. Uh, There's a lot of music in practice. They're playing music during drills and it's, it's simulating a chaotic atmosphere in games. And you know, we love that energy. It's fast paced. We're getting a three hour practice into 90 minutes. Like that's all great. I mean, this is all preseason talk and I, I, I like what Matt Rule is doing, but again, the, the results are going to matter way more. You're right. If in two years this team has won seven games combined or something like that, we're not going to be hearing the same, oh, we love the energy in practice. People are going to say, when is it going to turn around? All text this hour courtesy of the Building Center. All tweets courtesy of Diamonds Direct. We're getting started here on Wilson and Parcel. You heard from Matt Rule there. Will Matt Rule's style translate to the NFL uh, are you still all in on Matt Rule? And the now is easy. The tomorrow depends on just that. Sports Radio FNZ. In terms of practice, um, it's just kind of the way when I was a player at Penn State under Joe Paterno and then worked with Tom Coughlin. I mean, the, the practice that we're doing is just kind of how I was raised in football. You know, it, it just seems really just kind of seems natural to me you know we just want to move efficiently from drill to drill and and uh have great energy work really hard and then you know get out of there you know we don't want to be on the field um longer than we have to but we're going to make sure that while we're out there we you know we have put great reps on tape sports radio fnc that was matt rule describing his uh, his new practices people talk josh about the uh the pace of the new practices i just gotta say he can go as fast or slow as he wants in practice as long as we get more video of him running drills. <laughs> I mean, it's good for retweets, right? I mean, it's it's great. For, we we love the content. We love the hashtags. It's it's fun. I I just I don't I don't care about that stuff. I, I maybe I'm the uh, Debbie Downer. It's 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 really cool to watch for 20 seconds. I just can you coach and can you win? And I I I'm not saying Matt Rule can't, but everybody's like, look at Matt Rule. He's he's tackling a sled. Oh, this guy gets it. Like, well, we no, that, like, that, that's I don't absurd. care. <laughs> like, but that's what people do. Like people hear that. They, they're like, look, look at the energy. Look, th- this is a new culture here in Carolina. Matt Rule is he is fun. Like, a lot of coaches are fun. There are a lot of bad coaches who are fun. There's a lot of good coaches who are boring. There's a lot of good coaches who are fun. Like that's just it. There's no correlation between him doing that and the other people. It, it's fun to see your coach and it's good to see personality and all that. But. I, I am no way looking at that and thinking, oh, this guy is is ready to coach in the NFL. He connects with the kids. I just think the bigger the bigger issue is his uh, his footwork was sloppy and he slipped at the end. Well, yeah, I mean, look, he's been out of the game for a while, man. If, what do you want? He's well, forty some years old. No, no, but if I, real leadership is executing the drill perfectly, in my opinion, 
Yeah, well, you got to tell that to him. But shouldn't isn't that what we're supposed to do though? If we don't, if we don't think it's like of any importance, we are supposed to go the opposite way. Everyone's trying to say it means he's in touch with the kids and there's a new culture there. Should we say it's if he ran that drill better, we'd have more confidence in him? <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, you want to have that take. That's that's your take, man. Right, my my take is file. I don't care. <laughs> put it on file, uh, and then well, you know we'll we'll bring that out if I'm ever right about this. You had a uh, a very interesting poll that you put out at Josh Parcell on the Diamonds Direct Twitter feed that I was shocked by the results of. Because I, while I understand, you know, you know, there are questions about both situations, right? You've got a new head coach here in Carolina, and then our old head coach, Ron Rivera, is up in Washington. And neither organization looks very good. Uh, the, we've seen how the Washington organizations looked. Uh, the Panthers struggled with optics all offseason long. But you, you asked a question, which coach will win more games of the next five years? And I was pretty shocked that by a wide margin, 70% of voters saying that rule. Because, and, and uh, so if we just start with this year, with this year, I don't see how you can say it. I, I think that. Ron's roster is more equipped to win more games right now. I still don't think they're going to win the Sheesh. Super Bowl, but I think they've got a really nice defense. They've got some O-line pieces, and I think if they actually if Alex Smith actually starts at some point this year, I think they're going to surprise and win 6 or 7 games. I look at the Panthers and I see a 3-win team. I mean, look, do I think Washington is maybe 5% better than the Panthers? Sure. I, I, I don't see the Washington as some team that's going to win. I mean, first of all, Alex Smith, amazing story. That is such an inspiring story. I'm putting zero stock into Alex Smith as, I mean, I have no idea if the guy can play in an NFL game. I know he's cleared for activity. That's great. But you're talking about such a severe injury. It will be an amazing story and I hope it happens. I'm rooting for him, but I'm not factoring that into my thoughts on Washington. Dwayne Haskins was okay at the end of last season. There were a few moments where Haskins looked like he was starting to, you know, remember or realize that this is the NFL, but I don't know anything about Dwayne Haskins. And so I, I just, and, and to think about all the turmoil that that organization has been through, you know, Ron Rivera is trying to help rebrand the organization and just make sure that that organization isn't a complete catastrophe, you know, behind the scenes. I, I don't have any faith in Washington this year. I actually think Washington and Carolina are the two worst teams in the NFC. So I've, I, I think that Washington might, because they're in an easier division, win a couple more games. That's my thought. I mean, they don't have the same type of schedule that, that the Panthers have. So maybe that's an advantage to Washington. But well, on paper, I, I, I think the Panthers' offense is light years ahead of Washington's. And I think Washington's defense is light years ahead of the Panthers. Yeah, I think that Matt Rule has the advantage here of the better quarterback. If, if it's Teddy versus Haskins, when you get Teddy versus Alex Smith... We're we're probably talking even 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 money there, but like I think so. I think Matt Rule has the better quarterback and better skill playing positions. I would take the off offensive line in Washington, despite its imperfections, over this one, and I would take that defense. And you know me, I'm a big guy on how are you built? Are you built well enough up the middle? I think they're built well enough up the middle to surprise this year. Now, longer term, what I think is interesting is I, again, think Washington can win five to seven games, and I think that's where I expect them to be, whether it's Haskins or whether it's Alex Smith. But the Panthers might be bad enough this year to secure 
more wins over the next five years simply by landing a top three pick. If they were if they were to be bad enough this year, win two games and get Trevor Lawrence, I, my expectations then for them for the next four years afterwards would change pretty drastically. Yeah, I, I look at both teams as teams that could, should have top three, four picks. But I think that when we look at just the long-term outlook of both franchises, it's very, very close. Um, there are four... There are four categories that I look at when I'm talking about your five-year outlook. What, you know, how, how is your five-year window shaping up? One is quarterback, one is your front office, one is ownership, and then one is your current under 25 talent or 25 and under talent. Who are the young players that are making up the core of your roster that are on rookie contracts that are going to be a part of your franchise for a majority, if not all of the next five years? Quarterback, as you mentioned, is an advantage to Carolina. There is a lot of unknown with Dwayne Haskins. Even if Alex Smith somehow does miraculously come back and play, he's 37 years old. He doesn't factor into Washington's long-term plans. Um, and if they do go back to Alex Smith, I'd have a hard time imagining that Dwayne Haskins is long in Washington. So they would be going back to the drawing board. Uh, Carolina may end up drafting another quarterback, but I'm a big believer in Teddy. I've said that. I think that Teddy can be the guy for the next five years here. Uh, so I would go advantage Carolina. When we talk front office, it's kind of weird because Ron is calling the shots right now and they don't really have a defined structure in terms of a GM, but I would actually lean towards Washington. I, I, I don't trust the job that Marty Herney has done over the last couple of years in the draft and with free agency signings to build a, a championship or a competitive roster. So I would go advantage Washington almost by default because I, I know what I have in Carolina and I don't really love it. Ownership advantage Carolina easily. And then under 25 talent is probably advantage Washington. Uh, it's close because the Panthers probably have the best. Well, they definitely have the best player of that group in McCaffrey. But Washington, you mentioned some of this stuff through the trenches. Washington and Ron Rivera has got to be loving it because they just drafted Chase Young, who I think is going to be an immediate impact player, big time player, top probably 100 player in the league after his rookie season. Montez Sweat, who is a great player out of Mississippi State defensive end. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. It's a great young defensive line. Terry McLaurin was an excellent receiver last year. People may not know about him much in Carolina, but I, I would say he's as good at this point as DJ Moore. And then they've got a couple other pieces like uh, DB Jimmy Moreland and Ryan Anderson on their defense. So they've got a lot of young players. The Panthers have a few, but not many. So it's it's kind of tight to me. The tiebreaker to me is quarterback, and I will go Carolina. I think that I trust the quarterback situation in Carolina. It's either going to be Bridgewater or it's going to be uh, the number one pick in the draft next year, number one, number two pick. So from that standpoint, I'll go with the Panthers as the better outlook between those two. Yeah, I think we're trying to look at who's going to win more games in the next five years, Rivera or Rule. I think the problem is, you, really in the NFL, you can only look at the next two to three years. right? Every, really, the, the most... The most successful teams, the biggest window they're really looking at, while they do look for their cap over five years, you're really talking about a three-year window. And teams view what they're in, either you're in a three-year window, you're building to a three-year window. Like, that's that's the kind of time frame you're talking about here. The the Redskins, or sorry, the Washington football team is one step ahead of Carolina in the rebuild because they do have more young talent. I personally think that Teddy Bridgewater is going to prove to be a stopgap quarterback, uh, or until proven otherwise, I think he's going to be a stopgap quarterback. I also think that there was enough to see last year with Dwayne Haskins that I think he can at least be a serviceable quarterback in the NFL. I, I think Ron Rivera is going to win more games over the next two years, uh, two to three years uh, at the very least. So I, I'm... 
and I'm trying to find outside of a Trevor Lawrence or outside of some of the other ways, I'm trying to find out how the Panthers can catch or surpass him. And I, I just don't see it. I think the Panthers are going to be better for the next two to three years. And I think they have the kind of team that is set up to be a decent, if not better team. If Ron Rivera, if the front office that you talked about, you know, takes care of picks and free agency. Yeah, the other component to this and the reason why I'm taking the Panthers in this over the next five years is the division that they're in. You know, you look in the NFC, I know that there's some uncertainty about what's happening in Dallas, but I believe that Dallas is going to have a very good quarterback for the next five seasons. It's either going to be Dak or they're going to find a, a, a guy that they like more than Dak to be their guy. So I think Dallas is going to be very good for the next handful of seasons. I think Philadelphia is going to be very good, assuming Wentz stays healthy for the next handful of seasons. And the Giants actually have a ton of young talent. I don't really love the Giants situation, but they at least have a ton of young talent in the NFC South. Yes. The next two years, it's going to be tough because New Orleans is going to be great this season, but then Brees is probably going to step away. Uh, Atlanta is okay right now, but they could go into a rebuild very quickly. And even if they're competitive, Matt Ryan is 37 years or he's 36 going on 37. He's not going to be around much longer. Uh, and then of course, Tom Brady is a probably a two year project in Tampa Bay at most. So the Panthers are, I think rebuilding at the perfect time where in two years, I'm on record saying I think the Panthers are a playoff team in 2022. I think two years from now, the Panthers are going to be ready because the division's going to be going one way and the Panthers are going the other. They'll be one of, if not the best teams in the division and a playoff threat in Washington. They might be a, a half step ahead of Carolina at this moment, but they're in a division that's getting better. The Panthers are in a division that's great now, but over the next five years, I think is going to be getting worse. So I, I have more faith in Carolina over the long haul than I do Washington for that reason. I don't know Dak Prescott's going to be there in two years. Who knows if Carson Wentz is going to be in Philly in two years and who the hell knows what Daniel Jones is. I I look at I mean, if I Wentz is healthy, East. he's going to be the Eagles' quarterback for a long time. Did you just say they've been? If Wentz is healthy, is the new is if Cam is healthy? Like I, mean, I wouldn't I, say that. I understand what you're saying. Well, no, uh, yes, that I I think they're in the well, one, very has, one has one has a chronic shoulder injury. The other broke his collarbone. No, the other is blown out a knee. The other has had a ba- a broken back. Like. Yeah, Wentz has in, I'm not not diminishing the fact that Wentz has injuries, but like, it's been great when he's on I, the field. I, again, I think for the Panthers to take advantage of this division, it's as much about them being able to execute their moves as anybody else. Do you have faith in Marty Herney to do that? I don't know what to believe in Matt Rule. I, I guess my thing is, if we're looking at the rest of the division, y- yes, presumably in three years, there could be a moment where the Panthers can step forward. The Panthers have to be ready to do that. And the Saints, Falcons, and Bucks all have to do worse at the quarterback position or not. Those, you know, the, the Saints have been really good for a long time. I would trust Sean Payton to get it right. Uh, Bruce Arians, post-Tom Brady... If he wins 7-9 with that Jameis Winston, I would expect he can find somebody to help him still be a decent team. I, I think there's more uncertainty in uh, in in the East, which I think is good for Washington. 704-570-9610. Uh, which coach will win more games of the next five years? Matt Rule or Ron Rivera? Almost overwhelming here. 68% of people saying Matt Rule. And we will look at the Panthers roster and the haves and the have-nots next on Sports Radio FNZ. Welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. Happy Monday, everybody. And I, I do now know it is Monday afternoon. 
not Monday morning, like I said earlier in the show. 40 minutes out, uh, Adam Amin of Fox Sports and the Chicago Bulls. Now, TV play-by-play man. Excited to talk with him about the NBA playoffs. As uh, we are there right now, the Denver Nuggets leading the Utah Jazz 57-47. We are getting close to halftime there. So we got playoff basketball, three more games to go today as well. But uh, in our conversation about the Carolina Panthers, Josh, I I wanted to run through a few of the the interesting spots on this roster or or interesting situations with this roster and kind of look ahead at who we think is actually going to be better this year across the roster. So I want to start with a conversation of like Eli Apple or Dante Jackson. Neither guy you or I have a lot of faith in. Who do you think is actually in a position to be the better player for Carolina this year? I think it has to be Dante. I mean, look, both of them were high draft picks. Apple was drafted higher, was viewed as the better player coming out of school. But at this point, we kind of know who Apple is. I think a lot of Apple's problems have just been with with technique. I mean, the guy commits a ton of penalties. He blows a lot of coverage. Uh, He's not a great cornerback at this point. With Dante, we've seen moments where Dante can be great. Dante's attitude and his coachability and, you know, some of those things have been more of the problem with Dante. So, I would have to say Dante Jackson. Now, you know, the 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 other part of that that makes it interesting is, you know, I would imagine Apple's going to draw the assignment of the big name wide receivers in this division just because of his size. He's the bigger corner, he's the more physical corner who can go up against, you know, a 6 foot 3 Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, 6 foot 4 Mike Evans. Uh, and not be giving up five, six inches with Dante Jackson. I just don't know that his destiny in the NFL is to ever be that kind of guy. And that's, I mean, look, there's other great corners or rather other great receivers in the division, you know, Calvin Ridley, Chris Godwin, they're guys that Dante will have his hands full with, but I, I would go with Dante. I think he's poised to have a better season than Eli, but I mean, there's no question the secondary is the ultimate question mark on this team and the biggest weakness going into the season. Josh, I'm torn. I'm I'm torn for a lot of different reasons. One, Eli was actually the better player last year. If you go by his pro football focus grade, he wasn't very good. He he ranked as below average, but Dante was one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL. And I think the other problem that I see with Dante... We're going to have to turn you into Mac here before long, going on pro football focus for everything. Listen, I'm trying. I'm you're turning into Mac by the day. You That's said it was uh, the morning. Now you're using PFF. Look, I didn't know you better. I think it was 7 a.m. But here's the thing. I'm not losing any weight. This is this is padding <laughs> is here to stay. But, but Dante was bad at everything last year. Like, if you look at his grades across the board, he was bad at tackling. He was bad at coverage. He was just bad overall. Eli Apple actually graded out well against the run. He graded out well in tackling and in pass rush. He just happened to be really bad in coverage last year. Which happens to be the most important part of playing corner. No, no, no. But the (laughs) point is, so he was the better player overall last year, still had the better grade in coverage. I think he's going to have the tougher matchups because there's just no way. If Dante Jackson's on Mike Evans, I'm out. I'm opting out of the season. If that happens, Josh, I will. I, I can't watch Dante Jackson go up against him or Julio this year. And I think my other thing is Dante does one thing really well, and that's be fast. We haven't seen the technique. We haven't seen. We haven't. We also haven't seen, and this has been pointed out multiple times in in terms of the way that he reacts when the ball snapped. Uh, you don't see a lot of feistiness from him. You don't see a, a lot of willingness to get up and get physical. I understand he's a smaller corner, but like he's got one thing. And I don't even know how impressive that one thing is if he can't get any of the other things right. 
I mean, I, I would say he has above average ball skills. I, I'd say he's a great when the ball's in the air. He's very good at playing the ball. Uh, it's just the problem is, is that he loses guys sometimes and allows separation, which at that point it doesn't really matter. But Dante is, I would say, the best corner they've had in the last few years at attacking the football and going to making a play on it. It's just a lot of the other problems. His physicality has been a big thing. And as we're saying, I mean, technique is an issue with the guy. When 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 the older veterans on the team, I mean, it's documented. Have, have tried to help him learn how to play the whatever technique. And I don't know the techniques that the Panthers are coaching, so I'm not going to try to pretend like I do. But when the Panthers are clearly frustrated with him, they were a couple years ago, and he's resistant to that. I'm not as much worried about you know the physical aspect of the game as I am. Are you willing to listen to these guys? Are you willing to get better? And you know Dante wanted to talk about injuries last week and, and said that it was a groin and a hammy and that, that was bothering you, and that's why you, know, you didn't have the year you wanted to. It, Maybe that's true. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but it's year three now. Excuses are over. Now you have to, you know, produce. You have to perform. So uh, there's more pressure on Dante this year than Eli. That's for sure. Moving to the wideout position, I'm curious to see what you'll say about this because where we go from the weakness of the defensive backfield and the fact that they could both be really bad, but one could have to be better than the other just because. You know, grades do matter on some level. But going to now the strength of the wide receiver group. DJ Moore versus Curtis Samuel. I think there are a lot of people with you, Josh. There are a lot of people about well, excited to see what Curtis Samuel can do this year. I'm just excited to see what DJ Moore can do with a better quarterback because a lot of things that people said about Curtis last year with being held back by a quarterback to, to similar degrees could be said about DJ Moore. Right, for for sure. I, it, Moore's routes, he ran routes that were more suitable to the quarterback he was playing with, which is why I think Moore's numbers were that much better than than Samuel's. It's 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 tough to say. I, Moore's the better player, but I think that Samuel's going to take the bigger leap. You know, I expect at the end of this season, Moore's probably going to have numbers that more or less resemble what he did last season. I see what you did there. Um, oh, what more or less? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm good with those. New podcast you know name. DJ more or less. If DJ wanted to do a podcast, that would be that'd be a heck of a name. You should tell you should tell him that. I think you. I think it's you and him. Because I, does that make me less? Well, if you want to be, mm. you can be less parcel. I don't know if I like that. Um, I didn't think it out that well. Yeah, but but I think with more and Samuel. You know, Samuel's going to take a leap because Samuel has a quarterback that's going to be a, do a better job at getting him the ball where he needs it. He's got a coaching staff that's going to do a better job at getting him the ball where he needs it. And I think the numbers are going to reflect that. You know, last year, DJ Moore was only targeted 30 more times than Samuel. I mean, over the course of a season, that's less than two times a game. It's not as if the Panthers were feeding DJ Moore the football and ignoring Curtis Samuel. They were trying to give them both the football. And if you take rushes into account... So DJ Moore had 141 combined targets and rush attempts. So 141 times they tried to get the ball to DJ Moore. If you combine Samuel and and uh, his his receiving numbers with his rushing numbers, it's 124. It's it's very similar. The the difference was, and it wasn't all on Kyle Allen. I th- some of this balls on Samuel. I mean, he falls on Samuel. He drops some passes, routes weren't as crisp, all that. But I do think that the gap between them is a lot closer than maybe the numbers would suggest. So I think Samuel takes a leap forward this year, but I still think DJ Moore is the better player. Yeah, I also think the other thing about DJ is he he did. I mean, Kyle Allen was better throwing close to the line of scrimmage than he was throwing down the field. That You can't deny that. I also think, though, DJ, in some ways, his big playability was compromised 
One, because Kyle Allen still wasn't the most accurate in getting the ball exactly where it needed to be. He was a hell of a lot more accurate closer to the line of scrimmage, but it still didn't mean his ball placement skills were 100%. Uh, he still was, that was not a forte of his. He was just he was just better than he was down the field. I also think the other thing about it, Josh, that I'm really kind of excited about is because everyone knew that Kyle Allen was not going to be able to throw the ball down the field with any modicum of consistency. It also capped DJ Moore's ability to make those big plays because you just had the field was more bunched up with a more spaced out offense with more speed around him and a quarterback that can make the throws. I, I think I think the only thing left for DJ Moore is to put the ball into the end zone more times, and I think this offense is going to help him do it. DJ is the better player, and I'm even if it's just you know, I, the numbers might not look as extravagant as Curtis Samuel's number jump. But I'm excited to see him get that ball in those opportunities more, where he, where the, where the field is spread out, and he can maybe take it to the house more. Yeah, he's going to need to. I mean, even last year we talked about the touches. I mean, Samuel had, you know, significantly, well, not significantly, but had fewer touches than Moore, but scored more touchdowns, almost twice as many touchdowns last year as Moore when Moore was the bigger part of their offense. So that's a big thing for DJ Moore. I totally agree. He doesn't. He has speed. A lot of it. Uh, I would say Samuel's a little bit faster, probably better at your your downfield routes than than more. Just in terms of trying to separate from the defense on some you know go routes, guinea post stuff like that. So we'll see. I think both of them are really good. I, I don't really want to pick one over the other because I actually think that one of the things Joe Brady's going to try to do this year is get both of them the ball a lot, maybe reduce some of the workload on McCaffrey. Of course, they added Anderson as well. I think a big thing for DJ Moore too is. Team started to, to to adapt to him during the season as more film, you know, there was more film on DJ. But now you're you're not an unknown. You're you're not an up and coming guy that oh, who's this more kid? He was a first rounder, but he's kind of inconsistent. You've established yourself now as a legit number one wide receiver in this on this team. Teams now have two years worth of film on you. They're going to learn how to cover you a little bit better. They might do some things to you that you don't like. So there's going to be some learning process for DJ Moore from that standpoint as well. Yeah, I also think the big thing with Curtis is. How does how do the drops factor in? That was that was a bit of an issue last year. As much as Kyle Allen being a bad or a rough quarterback was, I'm I'm curious to see if those change with Teddy here. Maybe a more accurate quarterback. Maybe gets a little bit more comfortable. Maybe doesn't have those. Uh, so we'll see that. The final one isn't a positional thing in terms of uh, who's going to have the better season conversation, but it is a high pick, high expectation situation for the Panthers. And the names are Derek Brown or Jeremy Chin. I would lean Derek Brown because I think he's going to play from day one, and I think he's going to be the better player day one. I wonder if we're going to see Jeremy, much like Brian Burns last year, we're going to see him some weeks more than others. But I, I, I do think that Jeremy could be the, the second best rookie or the other best rookie on this team. I'm actually going to say Chin. I, I, I really, really like what I've heard from the players and the coaches on Chin. He is a very popular name right now. Uh, the guys seem really excited about him. He's uh, clearly working very hard. They're raving about his work ethic. And I think my biggest concern with Jeremy Chin when he was drafted was, you know, players have made the jump from the FCS to, to the NFL before. That That's not a really big concern. But when you spend four years as an elite athlete like he is playing at the level he's playing, how hard is that adjustment going to be? I mean, athleticism was a huge part of why he was successful. Is it going to take some time for him to adapt? And I still have that concern, but I think with what I've heard from chin and, and in the role that he's going to be in where for Derek Brown, I'm not, 
100% sold yet that he's going to be the player. He's not going to be the player in year one that he'll be in year three. I think there's going to be a big jump for Derek Brown as he gets a little bit older in this league. I actually think Chin is going to have a lot of responsibility with the lack of depth at linebacker and at safety. I think Chin sees a lot of snaps and makes more, I think, more impactful plays. So I'm, I'm actually going to say Jeremy Chin. That would not have been my answer on draft night, but it is today. Texas Hour on the Building Center here and tweets courtesy of Diamonds Direct. Uh, the question here is, who is going to be the more impactful rookie, Derek Brown or Jeremy Chin? We'll throw some of these up, at Nick Wilson says, uh, so you guys can vote on these just to hear in the break. And something we heard about the Panthers and Christian McCaffrey, it's coming out of practice, has us believing the Panthers could be on the next level of unlocking Christian McCaffrey, Sports Radio, FNZ.